Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, November 17th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We asked the Chief about what the CPS is doing to address the current uptick in the city when it comes to weapon-related violent crimes, as well as the rise in cyber crimes here in Calgary. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney answers questions as sent in by you, the listeners. World Women's Entrepreneur Worship Day takes place this week and a Canadian summit is being held to explore the imbalances in the business world faced by women and what can be done to better support women in their ventures. We speak with the ambassador of the organization behind the summit, Milena Radkovic. And finally, November is Financial Literacy Month. We speak with Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, who offers up some tips to teach kids about the value of money earning it, saving it, and of course, spending it. Every month we have the opportunity to chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld and talk about some of the issues facing our city and the city's police force. And Chief Newfeld joins us now. Good morning to you, Chief. Thanks for being with us. Hey, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. Let's start with uh, Calgary Police and the RCMP. This is something that came down uh, last week, involved in a joint operation, arresting people involved in a ransomware attack. Can you tell us a little bit about Operation Gold Dust? Yeah, I sure can. And, and this was actually something that uh, Calgarians don't hear about every day in terms of an international uh, investigation involving cybercrime. But what many don't know is that the uh, Calgary Police Service has very, very strong cybercrime investigative capabilities. And in this case, this was actually a, an investigation that was uh, international, that was being led by Europol or uh, uh, law enforcement in Europe. And uh, there was a report uh, of a business uh, here in Calgary to the Calgary Police Service that made a link to that uh, case. And as a result, uh, we worked with uh, Europol and the RCMP and the CPS and were able to uh, make a number of arrests uh, in various countries uh, with respect to people who were encrypting files and extorting money out of businesses and individuals after to try to release their files. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was actually a really, really great uh, outcome. Like you said, a lot of Calgarians might not have known what was going on behind the scenes. The nature of what you folks do at the CPS, you got to make sure that, you know, you keep wraps on, on, on things to a certain extent. But do you think that uh, we are unaware of just how much of, uh, you know, a role Calgary can play in, in how this type of crime happens in our city? Because sometimes I think we think it's on the other side of the world, but it happens here. Well, you're absolutely right, and I think just the nature of today's online world, for sure, criminals can cross all kinds of jurisdictional boundaries easier than ever before, and I think they leave a trail of victims and evidence in their wake, and it requires, obviously, because of the cross-jurisdictional you know, uh, nature of it, a, a real high level of coordination and cooperation between police in different jurisdictions and different justice systems, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, but I think the one thing that we do know about these crimes is that even though the offenders might be international, the victims are all local to somebody. And so we have that here in Calgary. So that's that's very important to us. Chief, we've seen an increase in weapon-related violence this year. It looks like stats show about 36% uh, from the five-year average. So what's behind the increase in violence in the city, weapon-related specifically? 
You know, it's a great question, Sue. So we're looking at that uh, each day. So what we're comparing uh, is the weapons-related calls for service that our members are going to from January 1st of this year until the current. I think the stats are good up till probably about the 10th or so of the month. Um, and so, yeah, we have seen, as you say, a 36% increase in calls involving weapons. And it's kind of been across the board. Um, we certainly have seen uh, a spike in things like uh, pharmacy robberies that have involved weapons. Uh, we're seeing robberies of cannabis uh, retail stores and that type of thing. But beyond that, it's kind of across the board there right now. So it's a concerning trend. Uh, again, it's just looking at this year and looking at the five, uh, comparing it against the five-year average. And that's where we're seeing that spike. And so we're going to continue to monitor that so that we can actually get on the prevention side of it the very best we can. But again, right now, it's, it's sort of across the board. So it's a little bit too early to start pointing in particular directions. You know, when we talk about an increase in, uh, you know, related to violence to weapons and weapons being used in, in these crimes, Let's let's laser in on knife violence and, and how much of a concern that is and how much of a challenge it is because I think we talk about the guns a lot but knives knives and the accessibility it's mm-hmm. it's how do you how do you keep a lid on something like that how do you how do you get tabs on that well, it is very difficult, and certainly I think uh, you know knives are very difficult or very easy to conceal. Uh, so you, you, we see it a lot actually in um, individuals, even in the inner city, and I think partly um, people trying to uh, protect themselves against, um, sadly, uh, other people that are vulnerable as well. Uh, that's one place that we're really sort of seeing that. And so I think work with our partners there at, uh, you know, the drop-in center and Alpha House and in the inner city to try to um, deal with some of that is really, really important. Uh, Because, of course, we have seen a number of cases where um, we've seen stabbings. And, you know, honestly, an inch one way or the other Mm -hmm. is the difference between having, you know, somebody go to the hospital and somebody die. You know, it makes it tough. It must make it difficult for your officers that you can kind of find knives at dollar stores, for example. And so the prevalence of them, it's no wonder that people can get their hands on them so easily compared to a gun, say. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're seeing some uh, makeshift weapons, too, that are, like you say, extremely accessible. Even things like box cutters. And I was out uh, with some officers from uh, one district not long ago and arrested an individual there who had outstanding warrants and was, uh, I guess, not overly surprised, but somewhat uh, surprised and concerned to find in his pocket a box cutter with a bunch of tape wrapped around it, um, you know, which he indicated that he was carrying for his own protection. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, sometimes, you know, that can uh, end up with injuries and, mm-hmm. and also can be very dangerous to our officers. Let's talk about, you know, the Calgary Police Service is, is something that we all rely on. And I think sometimes we, we don't think of it perhaps being run, you know, like, like a regular accounting firm or a business. But within the CPS, you have employee surveys as well. So let's talk about that 2021 employee survey. What was your greatest takeaway from it? Uh, the employee engagement survey? Yes. Yeah, so I, well, I think, you know, in the survey, usually there's, you know, positives and negatives. And, I mean, once again, it came through resoundingly clear that uh, that individuals uh, love the work that they do. They love the, the job stability and the type of meaningful work they can get involved in and the contributions to something that are greater than themse- themselves. But I can tell you I was really disappointed uh, and actually heartbroken with the survey this year. We definitely saw um, what uh, I suppose we see in the community as well is that folks are struggling. Um, you know, the pandemic's been hard on us all, and I think working frontline anything uh, through the uh, pandemic has been difficult. And I think uh, that, you know, that has definitely not excluded our folks. 
And so I think we definitely have to make sure that um, we're supporting our people in every way that we can during these difficult times. And I can tell you that uh, they're not feeling uh, that supported. I think we're seeing that they're getting a lot of uh, criticism when they're out there and they're getting, uh, you know, having some difficult times dealing with people in their most difficult moments. And, and they're not feeling overly uh, supported in that. And so that means that I've got to do some different things. And I think it's important for all of us to remember that uh, there's a lot of good uh, men and women and sons and daughters and, and moms and dads here in our community that are serving our community. And it's easy to overlook that. You know, it is a great reminder that, you know, I think most of us have great respect for, for police officers and, and maybe a little bit extra perhaps is needed through what's been a crazy year and a half just because they're in a uniform. It doesn't change that they're humans under there for sure. Uh, let's, before we let you go, want to talk about uh, your Movember mustache. We can't <laughs> see, uh, obviously, it's, it's over radio, obviously. So how's the mustache coming? Well, see, that might be a good thing, actually, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I'm taking a lot of heat, I can tell you, from uh, both my own family and also uh, here at work from people. And it's going to be a long month that's probably going to be pretty difficult on my self-esteem. But, you know, it's uh, for a great cause. And I think, uh, as as we know, men are dying too early, earlier than they need to. And a lot of it has to do with just, I think, them looking after themselves, both their mental health and their physical health. And so I think it's a great message that comes around in November, and it's fun to, to be a part of it. I'm on board as well, Chief, and I'll tell you, I scare people everywhere I go. I get looks, and uh, I have to offer up apologies, but it is for a good cause. Um, sure is. Well, glad you're doing it there, Andy. Well, uh, thanks for doing what you do. We appreciate it, and thanks for your time uh, once again. Awesome. Have a great day, you guys. You too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld, and if you ever watch Global TV, they have them on uh, monthly as well. Mm-hmm. You can see that stash, and it's coming in. Beautifully or, yeah. you know, a little on the scary side. We should post a picture of you and your stash because it's sadly coming along beautifully as well. Yeah, well, it's quite it's something. More on November, by the way, uh, you know, yes. throughout the uh, throughout the month because it's a, it's a big deal. And again, uh, we have this visual representation, but it's always for a great cause. Throughout the pandemic, we've been very fortunate to uh, share the time with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, and he joins us once again this morning. Good morning to you, Dr. Janney. Good morning. All right. Let's uh, cover all sorts of ground, including the vaccines for kids and immunity, something we want to kick things off Mm -hmm. with. We have a question here that says, what is the research saying about hybrid immunity, recovery from COVID-19, and then having one vaccination? Does one really need the second shot in that case? Yeah, so the the one vaccination seems to provide remarkably strong immunity, and that's really, in many situations, the ideal event. But what we don't know about that is how long that still lasts. And really that second shot, and you know, we are seeing evidence now, at least in older individuals, that they may need that third shot to really get that immunity to last longer. So you get fantastic protection following that first shot. But the question is, would it fade faster than if you had the second shot down the road? And, and what we found in Canada was by spacing those shots out longer than, than what other countries had done, we ended up with much better immunity than many of the other countries that were using the same vaccines that we used here in Canada. I know we talked about this before, Dr. Janney, but do you, when it comes to that sort of natural immunity that mm-hmm. you might get from having had COVID, will that be acceptable in any way, do you think, when traveling, for example? 
Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say what countries will recognize. What we do know from the medical side or, or the, the laboratory side is, although you do tend to get really good protection early on with the natural immunity, it simply doesn't last as long as a vaccine-induced immunity. So if you were infected three or four months ago, there would be a big question mark whether you're still protected now. And the other piece, though, is the natural immunity seems to be really specific for the version of virus you catch, and it is less what we would consider cross-protective against new variants. So the vaccine seems to be a broad blanket of coverage that lasts longer. The natural immunity, although really good early on, doesn't seem to last as long and definitely does not cover against as many different viral variants as the vaccine immunity does. All right, this one here just came in on the text line. If you can transmit COVID, whether you are vaccinated or not, uh, what makes a COVID-positive vaccinated person less dangerous than an unvaccinated person without the uh, vaccination? Yeah, it's a good question. So it depends on the study, depends on the variant of the virus. Vaccinated people, for some of the variants, shed less virus. So although they're infected, they give off less live virus to infect other people. So there is a reduced spread from the, the, from the person who's infected and vaccinated. That's not true in all cases. But the missing piece in that equation is that there is a significant number of vaccinated people who do not become infected. So when events are restricted to only vaccinated, you know, they're absolutely, absolutely right that if there's a COVID-positive vaccinated person, they can be a risk, but there's much less chance of having that person in the audience if everybody's vaccinated. And that's really the, the missing piece of, of those arguments with regards to can uh, vaccinated people spread the virus. Yeah, they can, but the odds of them becoming infected are much lower than an unvaccinated person. And kind of related again with this question that just got texted in, I've had COVID, which means I have an immunity. Why do we have to keep wearing masks? Well, again, the virus is changing, and there's really a lot of people in the community who haven't had it. So if somebody who's had COVID or even vaccinated, yeah, there's this reduced risk that they can catch it again. But the mask is not to protect you from catching it. The mask is really, if you become positive, to prevent you from spreading it to other people. And right now in Alberta, when we look at all age groups, we're looking at almost 2 million Albertans, or, oh, sorry, 1.5 million Albertans who are not protected yet. So it's about 1.45 million Albertans are not vaccinated. So if you imagine how many people could still become infected, how many people could still go to the hospital, that's a big number. So we're still wearing our masks to protect those who have not been protected yet. Obviously, it's always been about the vaccines. And uh, over the past several weeks or a couple of months, we're hearing more about treatments, Dr. Jan, mm-hmm. including one that was, I believe, called Sotrovimab. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when are we actually going to see those in use in Alberta or are we already? antibodies are in use. We've already administered to patients in the province. And these are, you know, excellent drugs. Uh, you know, I do not want to underscore how important these are. We have people in the community who cannot be vaccinated, who do not have another option, uh, or people with underlying immune conditions that even if they are vaccinated, they don't generate the same response. We need other tools to protect those people. The problem with these medications is they only work after you're infected. So you still have to actually get infected, risk passing that on to other people. Uh, You risk perhaps long COVID when you recover from these infections. And these drugs, although really good, depending on which one we're talking about, some of these monoclonal antibodies are about a 75 to 80% reduction in your risk of ending up in the hospital. That is still below what a vaccine offers. So a vaccine is more than 90% reduction 
to go to the hospital. So, you know, th- these are expensive, uh, difficult therapies. So, so these monoclonal antibodies require a medical professional, in, in some cases a community paramedic, to come to your house, set up an IV transfusion for over an hour, and then sit with you for another hour while they watch for any adverse events. And you can imagine what that does to the availability of paramedics in the city and other healthcare services versus simply getting vaccinated and getting even better protection than waiting to treat an infection afterwards. Dr. Janney, we have a few more questions. Can you hang tight for two minutes? Of course. Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary, of sticking around with us. Dr. Janney, as, as, as a result of this being such a long th- the pandemic, uh, what, 20 plus months, we get a lot of repeat questions, but they're always worth addressing again. Mm-hmm. And here's one. What about discussing nutrition, which can assist the immune system when it comes to battling COVID-19? What about zinc deficiency? Right. So nutrition is absolutely critical. And I, I think, again, it, there needs to be a distinction between, you know, nutritional supplements as a therapy or preventative measure versus simply ensuring there's a healthy immune system. And what we're finding is that people that are, for example, deficient in a number of minerals or vitamins uh, do have a compromised immune system. So they are less able to respond not only to to COVID-19 infections, but to other infections. And this is something we've known for years. So we do have to ensure that people are are well, um, you know, fed, well nutritioned. Uh, We do see that, especially in Canada with things like vitamin D. You know, we spend a lot of time indoors. A lot of the year is cold. We cover up. We're not getting as much sun as perhaps other countries. But the studies haven't found any protection by, for example, supplementing or, or, or souping up your vitamin D intake. Ensuring you have the minimum, the recommended levels, is important, but taking more isn't more protective. That's also true with other just healthy lifestyle choices, so exercise, getting good rest, uh, drinking fluids, as simple as that. When your airways dry out, the virus gets in easier. So looking after yourself is absolutely critical, but it is not a substitute for things such as vaccination. Thank you for clearing that one up, for sure. Always a good reminder to keep doing that one. Um, This is kind of an interesting question and maybe leads to a greater question, but this person's 58, had AZ and Pfizer, never allergic to bee or wasp stings until now. Is it possible either or both vaccines could be responsible? The greater question is, can the vaccine cause other problems like that? So the vaccine can cause other problems. And, and, you know, we do have a full list of potential adverse events. And and, uh, the good news with Canada is we're very clear on that. So that that is required government reporting. So you can go on to the Health Canada site and see all of the adverse events. With regards to developing a new allergy to something completely unrelated, I've honestly never heard of that. I've not seen a single clinical report. you know, when you're looking at, for example, in Canada, we've administered over 30 million doses of, of vaccine of each type. And, you know, there is always a chance of a rare coincidence. So was it caused by the vaccine? You know, difficult to say, but these are absolutely fantastic questions to go back to your healthcare provider and say, look, before this is what happened, this is where I am today, you know, can we look at what might have caused this? And and sometimes there are other events that happen in life during the same time window, and those can be related. And that's the importance of these reporting systems. So if there are rare events, we are able to track them, we are able to to pick up on them, and we know what to look for in in other patients. But in this case, I've never heard of picking up a a bee or wasp allergy following uh, one of these particular vaccine formulations. No such thing as a bad question, and you always have great answers for each and every question. Thank you so much uh, once again, Dr. Jenny. Oh, you guys are welcome. Take care.
You too. That is Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Canada is increasingly being recognized as a leader in women's entrepreneurship, but COVID-19 has truly highlighted the inequities and challenges women face. To talk about how tomorrow's Women's Entrepreneurship Day Summit can help tackle these imbalances, we're joined by Malena Radakovic, Canadian ambassador with We Do, which is the Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. Good morning to you, Malena. Good morning. Thanks uh, for having me. Thank you for being here. Tell us about tomorrow's virtual summit. What can people expect? Oh, we've got a great, amazing lineup of women entrepreneurs and business leaders across Canada and really in key industries. Um, we've got an amazing uh, keynote speaker, Samra Zafar. If anybody uh, power watched The Good Wife like I did, um, the show was actually based on her life and her book, oh. showing the inequalities that are, uh, are still around in our generation. Fascinating. Okay, you know, let's talk about some of those inequalities. What is it that women face versus men in terms of being an entrepreneur? Well, the network system to support women entrepreneurs is just not there. Um, this is one of the reasons why uh, the Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization uh, was formed together. We wanted to create an ecosystem of organizations, government officials, change makers, uh, corporations to come together and really empower and support women entrepreneurs. And this is, we want to really initiate new startups. Uh, and it's the future of female entrepreneurs that we're here to support. And they're the ones that's going to drive economic expansion. I mean, studies have shown that if we advance gender inequality and have women participate in the economy, Canada could get an additional $150 billion in GDP. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And we only account for 15.6% of the small medium enterprise. Milena, you mentioned it's the future. So I'm wondering, you know, have we been doing enough in our nation with our young girls, like parents of girls and within the education system? Or is this something that we have to continue to work on in Canada? I believe we need to. I'm a mother of two daughters. Um, one of my daughters is actually following my footsteps and going to be taking business and uh, majoring in entrepreneurship. And this is one of the reasons why um, we do Canada Foundation. We started a national scholarship program, and we're having this summit, and the all and the funds raised for it is going to go to six outstanding aspiring female entrepreneurs across Canada. They're going to get $2,500 scholarships from We Do Canada and the, from the support um, of also additional sponsors who are helping us out for this. And at our summit, besides the three, sorry, four panels uh, with amazing entrepreneurs across Canada in technology, in retail and construction and manufacturing, industries that not necessarily are seen by women, you're going to hear these great women speak about the trials that they've gone through, the tips that they're going to give to additional um, women that are going to be attending this uh, our summit. Okay, well, so we know Canada's Women's Entrepreneur Day Summit. It's virtual again this year, and it is tomorrow. So how do people register? I know you've got a jam-packed day of really great information. So how do people get on board? So they just go to wedocanada.com, W-E-D-O, Canada.com, and there's a link to get their ticket. And we've got some really cool fundraising uh, items like uh, uh, Every Day's Women's Day t-shirt. We've got a custom bracelet that was designed by a local designer. 
So we really are trying to showcase and support the community and the women entrepreneurs in Canada. Fantastic. We do Canada.com. November is Financial Literacy Month. We've been lucky to talk with Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, each week to shine the spotlight on financial issues facing Canadians. Today, talking money with your kids, where to start, and how to make an actual impact. Good morning to you, Bruce. You you sold it I'm as trying. I was the person who was going to wake everyone <laughs> up, and then I got all self conscious. Like, am I am I too much for morning radio? You might be banned too much for morning radio. You are just banned. the right amount, sir. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll I'll be so appropriate this morning. You won't even recognize. Oh, don't me. wreck it. <laughs> we, we say, yeah, all of a sudden he drones on. We can barely hear him. He's like a shrinking. Yeah, there's that. You're like Charlie Brown, the, the parents and Charlie snooze Brown. Snooze button, snooze button. Nobody ever described Bruce Celery that no. way, that's yeah, for sure. Shot out of a cannon every time. <laughs> this this is a, a real tough one, Bruce, because as parents, we, 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 we you know, delve in and dig into our experience. But for many of us old folks, our parents never had the money talk with us. Yeah. So we yeah. need some help here. We do. And thankfully, I have an approach. I call it approach, an approach. There are four things you need to consider to be amazing in modeling great behavior with your kids. Values, norms, knowledge, and skills, which I know sounds like a big deal. But I want to talk about values first because every family's just a little bit different when it comes to values. Think about um, health. Some families really value healthy eating, and mm-hmm. that plays out in the norms they have in their family. Norms are like what's normal. So mm-hmm. you would have vegetable and fruit before you have like a big piece of cake. You would develop some knowledge like what's a growth food, what's a fun food, and then you teach your kids some skills like here's how you wash a grape. Here's how you make oatmeal. If you don't have the value around healthy eating, none of those norms, knowledge, and skills are going to flow. So the first question is, what's your values around money? And listen, I'm going to polarize two examples. One is the parent who believes that they want their work to benefit their child so their child's life is easier than their life was growing up. So they might give them stuff and not require that they work and focus on school and whatever. Another family's value could be quite different in that they view the kid as being the human in the driver's seat for the quality of their life. And they want them working young. They want to give them allowance so they learn money as a tool and all those sorts of things. That leads to a different set of norms and a different focus on the knowledge and skills. Okay, so that's... Oh my God, I am a genius. I came up with that. Did you really? You didn't read that somewhere? No, totally. Wow, you are a smart guy. That's why we go to you. And that's why we're doing all these chats during Financial Literacy Month. Okay, so now we know there are differences. And I see that. I can see that in my own family, even just from uh, like the two parents of our two kids. So what do we do with that now? Yeah. I would talk about it. So for the parents to talk about what is important. So I'm going to give you like a little menu of values that you could have just as a thought starter. Uh, and and they're really, it's me projecting what mine are. So you can borrow mine. First, money is a tool. It's a real value. So you want to give the human the tool so that they can learn from mistakes. I remember giving our kid a peeler, like to peel carrots at three and a half. And I was like, oh my God. 
God. But I knew that they wouldn't cut off their finger. So I thought, well, in that way, it's safe. They did nick their finger. They did it once at three and a half. They have never Mm. done it again. Mm -hmm. This human is now almost 12. They're great with knives. So I see the importance of allowance of giving them that. That's That's the knowledge and skill part, the norm and the knowledge and skill is giving them allowance. Another one, self-discipline. You want to give them the money so that they can learn in a safe environment. How do you make trade-offs? How do you avoid waste? How do you not spend everything now and save something for later? So those are some examples. And then that's how you structure your life. Like people immediately go to allowance. How should I do allowance? How you do allowance is informed by what your values are because you need consistency. In order for the norms to really click, it needs to be consistent. And so, Sue, in your, you can't have one parent who's like, I believe in allowance. There's no more money but the allowance in the jar. And then the other parent's like silently slipping them 20. <laughs> going, Do whatever you Are want. Are you peeking through my windows again? <laughs> I know. It's true. <laughs> There's a real disconnect with parents. Oh, come on. It's just, it's just 20 bucks. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, well, it's interesting because, yeah, you have to have the management on the same team. But to that point, the different styles and the carrot peeler analogy and that I was giving my, you know, the time preteens 10 bucks a week. OK, here's your 10 bucks. Everything's taken care of. You're not buying your own clothes or groceries, but this is for your Slurpees and, you know, yeah. uh, getting the candy. And then one said, well, you know, I, I need some more. So I tried the experiment, gave them each 40 bucks on, you know, for example, July 1st. And they learned the hard way by July 5th when there was no more money in the kitty, <laughs> yeah. but they weren't going yes. to, to, to starve to death. And you didn't flinch, did you? I did not. I no, did Because I'm sure they came the to you and they're guy. like, but I need it, I need it. Yeah. And then let's, so let's talk about that. That's so great. So let's say they have a purchase that they want. The knowledge is how much do I need for the skateboard or whatever it is. The skill is how do I earn the money and save the money to buy the skateboard? And there are teachable moments every single day. You can imagine me in the grocery store with my child as a young person. They'd be like, shop in the cereal aisle. The best lessons are learned in the cereal aisle. And you're looking two things at the sugar count, of course, but also the price of the box. We don't buy full price cereal. We do not buy full priced cereal. So when my child comes back and says, can we buy this? How much was it? <sighs> and they go back and check the price. They come back. Oh, no, that's full price. We're not paying that. So there's a real like learning opportunity that happens having your kids in the store with you and the repetition of how much is that? Mm-hmm. How much is that? Did you check the unit price? How much is that? I've got a question for you. So I have a son and he is, right now he's into anime. So he wants to buy all the costumes and all the wigs and everything that goes along with it. And they're expensive. So he wants to spend all of his money on that. And we always say, no, like you can buy, you know, maybe one costume kind of thing. You have to hold back some money. Should a parent just let their kid blow it all and and realize that then you've you've now run out? Yes, it really is dependent on your values, first of all, which I know I'm a broken record on that, and also a little bit about your kid, because I think you should try that and see if that proves to be something that teaches them a lesson. If it were me, not knowing your kid or your spouse or anything, I would say do that and see if there is sustained joy in all the anime costumes, because there might be, right? That might be like the best thing for the entire year, or it could be, Now I'm no longer in anime and I look at my closet and I'm like all still sitting there and right now I'm into something else and I can't afford to buy Mm -hmm. anything else. And that goes to money as a tool. You need to let them hold it in their hands so they can see what works 
and what doesn't. Yeah, okay. I'm just budgeting our time here, Bruce, but I'm wondering, <laughs> we have a, another short segment after a quick uh, break for traffic. Can, can you stay with us for two more minutes? 100%. 100%. And he's easy to deal with too, Sue. Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, is still with us. And hey, how will I know, Bruce, when it's time for my team to get a job? Because I went through this. My, my team got a job three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was her friends had more disposable income. Mm, um, yes. And uh, so do I keep the allowance enough for them to get their treats, but not enough for them to, to buy a car, for example, that yeah. forces them to a corner? How's that work? Yeah, 100%. And, and I would say, I don't know that the parent can know when it's time for the kid to get a job, because if it's me, I think like nine, 10, you should be working like part-time, 40 hours a week at nine or 10. But that's <laughs> okay. not my... That's not my, I mean, I'm projecting, but that's not my call. I think the kid decides and what you want to do, it particularly in families. Now, you've, we've got two types of listeners out there. We've got listeners who are like, they're working, they're fine, things are good. And we've got listeners out there who are really, really, really struggling. So for the, mm -hmm. those that are really struggling, it's a bit different set of norms and knowledge and, and skills and all that stuff. For those people who've got jobs, what you have to kind of think about is how do I create artificial scarcity? Because for families in particular where there's two incomes and it's like, you know, there's, there is an easy 40 bucks a week or month to uh, contribute to the kids' spending, you don't want to give them that because they're not going to learn. So they're going to be incented to go out and get the job. Even if it's just allowance, Bruce, do you recommend that people make their kid chip in for whatever it might be? Like a birth, they want to go to a birthday party. Do they have to chip in a certain amount of what the cost of the birthday gift is? Or when they're older, do they chip into, you know, what they have to pay for car insurance, for example? Yeah, I think all of that is negotiated using that framework that I've got here. I think what I'd say is you want it to be simple. You want it to be simple as possible. So uh, when we think about the norms in our house, one of the things we talk about is expectations. So our kid knows that we are not paying full board for whatever post-secondary education there is. They know that we've been saving since the day they were born in an RESP, but they know that they're not going to get the full carry. Mm -hmm. So expectations is a really, really important thing. Creating artificial scarcity is. Uh, having allowance can be really helpful. The lessons you learn while shopping are really, really helpful. And also talk about it. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. It is not taboo. We can talk about so many things with our kids these days. And if you watch TikTok for four minutes with them, you're going to learn a holy heck about the, the things they already know about the universe. But they're not probably not learning about good financial habits mm -hmm. on TikTok. They're yeah, learning yeah. about all, all sorts of other things. So talk about it. If you cannot remember the last time you had a talk with your kid about money, it's been too long. It's yeah. been too long. It's a great measuring stick. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning, Bruce. We appreciate your time spending with us so far this month, Financial Literacy Month. Thank you. My pleasure. Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, online creditcanada.com slash FLM for Financial Literacy Month. Lots of great tools and videos to learn. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.